If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we are back in the Gospel of John. Yeah, we are, we are done with our break. Our detour is over. It's back on the main road. We filled up with gas. We had our pit stop. We went to Bucky's, but now we are, we are back in John. Uh, again, we're going to be doing this uh, periodically over the course of the series. We'll go through a couple of chapters, detour a little bit, come back. And the reason why we do this is just to kind of give perspective of what we're doing and to give you guys sometimes a little bit of a break. But, man, John 3 is chock full of some good stuff. And so I'm excited for us to dive into this this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, John 3, 1 through 15, uh, we are going to be talking about what it means to be born again. Born again, and what does it really mean to be saved? And we're going to be answering this question of what does it mean to be saved, and also what does it mean to be born again, both this week and next week, because if you're familiar with Scripture, you'll notice we're ending on verse 15 today. But then... What happens after verse 15? What comes after the number 15? This is an actual question I'm asking you. 16. There we go. Yeah. yeah if, my, if my oldest was here today, I'd probably be getting like a number blocks answer or something like that. Uh, he's been really into math lately. It's been kind of fun. Um, so we're going to be talking about both of these things. And we're going to be looking at a very important conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in these chapters or in, this, in these verses. So if you've got your Bibles, John 3, 1 through 15 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one who can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not know, you, or yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You for this morning and for this opportunity to gather together and worship You. God, I pray as we look at this text this morning and look at this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, God, that we would recognize, Father, the areas in which Nicodemus did not see and recognize who you were. Where he failed to recognize Jesus, where he failed to recognize the Messiah right there in front of him and to fully understand what was going on. God, I pray that you would help to soften our own hearts, Father, that we may truly see you and understand what it means to be born again. 
Father, to understand the transformation that happens in us. And, and, and God, that becoming a Christian isn't just a matter of, of decision-making or behavior alteration, but God, it is life transformation. And God, I pray that we would open our hearts to you. God, that we would receive your word. And Father, that you would draw us near to you this morning. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So as we enter into John chapter 3, what we have going on is, is Nicodemus is going to Jesus in the night. Now, we're not told necessarily why Nicodemus chose to meet up with Jesus at night, but I think it's safe for us to presume he probably didn't want to be seen or recognized and kind of wanted this to be a, a, a meeting of more private matters. You know, obviously the, the, the Pharisees have been around Jesus. We re- read in John chapter 2 where they were interacting with him and talking with him and asking him questions. Or remember we talked about in John chapter 1 how uh, there were the, the, the religious leaders at the time went to ask John the Baptist about what was going on and what he was about and what he was doing, even asking uh, the question kind of discreetly, is John the Baptist the Messiah? Which he said no, but he came to point them to the Messiah. And so Nicodemus is going to meet at Jesus at night, and then we have this conversation here between the two of them. And so he starts, and he recognizes that Jesus is a teacher, and recognizes that there's something different about Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is is with him. And he admits this, not only himself, but that other leaders at this time recognize that there's something different about Jesus, that there's something unique about him. So this means a few things when we look at this. One, they recognize that Jesus has to have God with him, that there's no way that Jesus can do the things he's done and perform the signs that he has without God dwelling with him and being with him. Now, Jesus isn't the only person that we've seen in Scripture that has done signs or great and miraculous things. Let's think back to Moses, for example, as we'll go through numbers a little bit later this morning. Moses, for example, had the staff, and he turned the staff into a serpent, and he parted the Red Sea, and he did all of these incredible things, but he did that because God was with him. And it wasn't some superpowers that Moses had developed, but it was rather God in his power and his mercy and his glory performing these things. And so as we go back to this conversation, as we look at Nicodemus's question, he's also stating this on behalf of the leaders that we recognize that you are a teacher, that God must be with you for you. Someone cannot perform these signs without God being with him. And we also know that John tells us that there are certain signs that Jesus does that's not recorded in this gospel. So we can presume that there, there were others that apart from the, way, the wedding in Cana. But we also recognize that they presume that Jesus was sent by God and they presume that Jesus might be a mighty teacher or even a prophet. But even in all of their understanding, in Nicodemus's questions, in his recognition of who Jesus is, They didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah. They saw Jesus was was unique. They saw Jesus was special. They saw there was something different about him than anybody else. That Jesus spoke with authority. That there there was this quality to him that was just that God had to be with him. But recognize that they didn't recognize him as Savior. 
as Messiah. They didn't see him as who he really was. And this was with, after everything that, that they saw of Jesus do, but they still didn't understand. This kind of reminds me of at the end of John chapter 2 when he talks about how Jesus didn't entrust himself to all men because for he knew the hearts of men. There's a, there's a level of understanding of who Jesus is that has to come from the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and softening us to fully understand and to know him deeply. And Nicodemus didn't. He asked good questions, but at the end of the day, he didn't fully understand and trust that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus answers a question to him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus doesn't quite understand this. He, he, he thinks of this immediately as a physical thing. And he's, he's thinking, well, that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you can't be reborn physically. I mean, I don't know uh, how familiar you are with uh, certain maybe uh, movies or TV shows or uh, certain entertainment that depicts this conversation between Nicodemus and uh, Jesus, whether it be animated or in a film or whatever, but it's, it's always this, this idea where Nicodemus just seems so caught off guard of this idea of being born again. But see, for us and in our society, that's not necessarily a, a uncommon trait. Being born again, being reborn, being made anew is, is something that is woven deep within our own culture because we desire redemption and we, we have it all throughout uh, literature and all throughout entertainment on all these other things. But the reality is being reborn isn't just about changing behavior. Being reborn is not about just changing certain things about you or certain aspects or certain attitudes. Being reborn is literally being made a brand new person. It's life-altering transformation. And Jesus is saying that in order to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Not just behavior change, not just going to church, not just understanding the law as Nicodemus did, but to truly be born again and be made brand new. But Nicodemus didn't understand that. He thought this was a physical thing. He thought, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm a grown man. I can't be born again. So Jesus answers him, I think, a little bit more kindly than I think some of us would if we were answered like that. <laughs> if we had someone respond to us like that, to something we say. But here's what he says. Jesus says, truly, truly. And whenever we see Jesus say that, remember, this is, it's an important emphasizing point Jesus really wants us to hear and to understand. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So with it, everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus seeks to then help him really understand this. He reemphasizes this main point, but then he breaks things down a little bit clearly to give us some clarity. So let's look at that. Let's look at what Jesus is saying. The first is he talks about being born of water and spirit. Now, I'll be honest. I've studied the Bible a lot. I've looked at the Gospels a lot. And this idea of being born of water has always been a little bit more of a challenging statement to me because it, it, it kind of brings up other things that I understand, like, for example, baptism and things of that nature. And in studying for this text, um, I, I, uh, I really... 
uh, appreciate the works of R.C. Sproul, and I'm reading one of his books on John right now, and, and he got to this point, and <laughs> he said that in this book, this has always been a challenging text for him, and it made me feel a lot better, like, okay, if Sproul struggles with this, that's okay, all right, I, I feel a little bit better that I struggle a little bit with this too, because there's certain things in scripture that it, it may seem challenging to us, or, or uh are maybe not entirely super clear, but, but that doesn't mean we give up on it. Rather, we continue to look deep and figure out what is it that God is teaching us in this. And although this, this idea of being born of water has always been a little bit challenging to me because he also says that we are born of spirit, I believe what this is referring to is cleansing and repentance. Now, some people may think that this means baptism. That being born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But then what does that do? Well, that makes the physical act of baptism something that saves you rather than Jesus himself saving you. I mean, if we look at, for example, the, the, the thieves on the cross, one thief uh, denied Jesus, the other asked Jesus to save him, and he did. And so would we say that that thief on the cross didn't get to be with Jesus in heaven because he, was, he died on a cross? He didn't have a chance to get baptized, right? They couldn't dunk him while he was on the cross. No, we would say that he's been born of the Spirit, that he's been cleansed of his sins, that he's been made right with God. Now, does that make baptism unimportant? No, it, baptism is incredibly important. But baptism, the waters of this baptistry are not... This, this set-apart holy divine water, this is the city of Greenland's water that's poured in through here. And what happens whenever we are baptized is we have a physical representation of what God has already done in us. That He has washed of, us, of our sins, that we've been made anew, that we've been born again, that we, we, are, we are dead in our trespasses and sins and lifted into our new life in Christ. And so I think the more proper way to look at this this passage is that we don't separate born of water, born of spirit, that Jesus says it as one statement. I say to you, unless as one, one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, meaning that in order for us to be born again, that we have to be cleansed of our sins and repent of our sins. The Old Testament utilizes water for cleansing all the time. We read it all throughout the, the Jewish rites of purification and all these other things that he does in John chapter two. Remember, Jesus changed the cleansing water into wine, therefore kind of representing that Jesus is the great purifier, the one who will purify our sins once and for all. And when we are saved, we are baptized with the Spirit, meaning Jesus washes away our sins and makes us brand new. So I think that it's better to actually say this phrase all in one because it encompasses both the cleansing that Jesus brings on us when we are reborn and also the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. Well, we are born again. Those things don't happen interchangeably. They happen as one. We are cleansed of our sins. And when we are born again, we are given a new heart. And the Holy Spirit dwells with us. And what Jesus is saying is that we must be born again and made new by Jesus in order to see the kingdom of God. And then he gives a little bit more clarity because, it, it, again, this idea of rebirth and being born again is confusing to Nicodemus. Again, he thought about this as a physical thing. But what Jesus is clarifying is that there's nothing physical about this. He says that of which was flesh is flesh and with the spirit is spirit, meaning that our flesh will die. 
this skin, these bones, these bodies that we have, they are rotting and deteriorating. Sorry to be grim about that, but they are. And even in salvation, we are promised eternal life with Jesus. And that doesn't mean that our bodies become immortal or that we, that we never die. Our bodies will die and pass on, but our spirits won't. And they go to one or two places. And what Jesus is saying is that if we want eternal life with him in heaven, to be with him forever, to dwell with him, that we must be born again, that our spirits must be transformed. And then he tells us that there's evidence of the spirit in us. When someone is born again, when someone is made anew, that there's evidence of that. There's evidence of salvation in someone's life. Verse 8 the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what does that mean? That's kind of interesting, right? That he would, he would talk about the wind. Well, as we understand the wind, we can't see the wind. We, we can maybe see it if there's dust in the air, but the wind itself, the physical force of the wind, we cannot see. And in all reality, people can say, well, I know where the wind comes from. It's when atmospheric pressure changes and then all this other stuff happens. But in all reality, how, how good are we at guessing where wind's going to come from? Uh, we can ballpark it, but I've never met a weatherman who's been 100% on the target. And if there ever has been one, then, then where, where is that, that guy or girl at? Because <laughs> it's always been a mystery to me. I mean, in fact... We, we, it's, it, it is a lot of, uh, it's a lot of guesswork, but at the end of the day, we can't see the wind and nor do we always know where it's going to come from or how strong it's going to be. But how do we know the wind is there? How do we know? Because we see its effects. We see its impact. We see it blowing the leaves of a tree. We can feel it on our skin. We can see it moving. We can see it having an effect and an impact, although we ourselves cannot see it. In the same way it is with those who are born of the Spirit, that we see the Spirit moving in our lives, and there's evidence of that movement, evidence of the Spirit working in us and working around us and working in others. We have to learn to recognize that. One, we see that with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. We see that manifesting from people who are born again and who have been made anew. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the attitudes and the behaviors that we should have as Christians, as those who have been born again. But we also see it in James chapter 2, when he talks about faith without works is dead. That when you are born of the Spirit, when you are born again and become a brand new creature, a brand new person, then what happens is, is that we then are given the Holy Spirit and we can't help but to work those things out in our good works in our lives. See, what James argues in James chapter 2 is that people will say, well, I have faith, but they never show it. They never have anything to do with it. They, they say, oh, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus, but there's nothing in their life that suggests that that's true. But where James is saying, I will show you my faith by my works, that I will be able to point to things in my life that come from the work of the Spirit within me. And these good works do not save me, but they are evidence of God who lives in me. And so we have the fruit of the Spirit. We have our good deeds, actions that we do, not out of trying to win favor with God, but because God lives in us. And then lastly, we have John 15. At some point, we'll get to John 15. 
maybe sometime next year. But in John 15, he talks about how his father is the vine dresser and that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches. And when we are rooted in the vine, we bear good fruit. And so there's evidence of salvation in us. We can't help but change when we are transformed into a new person. And, you know, whenever you think about, well, am I truly saved? Do I truly have a relationship with the Lord? The question I would pose to you is, does your life look any different now than it did before you became saved? And if your life looks no different, if there's been no repentance of sin, there's been no transformation, you don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, you don't have good works to show that, the, that God dwells within you, you are not rooted in the vine, then the question I have to ask for you is, when you became a Christian, was it genuine? Was there true, true transformation in your life? Now, obviously, for some, depending on your story or depending on um, when you came to know the Lord, that may look different, right? Like, for example, my wife became a Christian at like five or six years old, right? She wasn't um, someone who was going around and doing horrible things at, at five. Although we'll say toddlers and little kids, they can do some rough stuff. Yeah. But the reality is she recognized her brokenness recognize her need for a savior. And then she became a Christian. You know, for me, I was 12. I was prideful before I became a Christian and, and struggled with my own sense of, I, I didn't need saving because I felt that I was good enough morally and worldly. But then I shattered my leg and God revealed to me, not only a physical brokenness in me, but also more a spiritual brokenness in me that I needed him that I didn't have all this figured out, that I needed to be humble, that I needed to give the things in my life that I held most dear over to him and not hold those things on. And so there's transformation. People become different. Then does that mean that you, that you are changed overnight? No, but it means it's a process where you begin to look more like Jesus as you grow and as you are sanctified. And the other thing I would say to that too is that you don't fix yourself before you become a Christian. Right, it's this idea that, that you, clean, you clean yourself before you get into the shower. It's, it's ridiculous, right? You wouldn't do that. You get in the shower to get clean. The same thing with Christianity. The same thing with becoming a Christian is that you don't fix yourself become, before you become to know or before you know the Lord. Rather, whenever you confess your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and become saved, then Jesus is the one who changes you and cleanses you of your sins. But see, even with all that being said, Nicodemus still doesn't get it. How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, you are the king, teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And if I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. How can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? See, Nicodemus is still so focused on worldly things and the things of tradition, the things of the law. And he's missing out on what Jesus is trying to teach him. That's not about how well you follow the law. It's not about your status in the community. It's not about what you do before, but it's about what Jesus does in you, about being born again. That's how you see the kingdom of God. And he's given him plenty of opportunity to see and recognize that. He has testified. John the Baptist has testified. He's given signs. He's given instruction. 
but he still doesn't get it. Because we on our own can't understand this. We on our own can't see this. We need Jesus to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We need the Holy Spirit working in us to truly recognize and see his goodness and our need for a Savior. But then he gives them, gives them an example from the Old Testament, something pointing to what will later happen to Jesus. And I've got a little bit of a crude illustration. <laughs> I did this myself, but I think it's interesting for us to see the parallels because, look, he says here, Jesus illustrated his statement by pointing to Numbers 21, 8 through 9. In Numbers 21, 8 through 9, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, God sent a plague of snakes to punish them for their rebellious attitudes. I don't know if you knew this, but the Israelites were really rebellious in the Old Testament. Uh, we were just, we were, the, the kids and I were just uh, looking at the story of Joshua uh, leading the Israelites in, into the promised land. And it's just, it's almost like he's taking up kicking and screaming sometimes. But God sent a plague of snakes to punish them for their rebellious attitudes. And if they obeyed God's command and looked to the lifted up bronze snake after being bitten, they would be healed. In this illustration, Moses lifts up the bronze snake and all who look at it are, are healed. But then, look at what Jesus says about this. In John three, thirteen. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so let's look at this parallel in this, path, in, in this imagery. We have... Moses lifting up the bronze snake. And then in the gospel, we have Jesus being lifted up on the cross. There's a clear parallel between these two. Whereas Moses had to lift up a bronze snake and all that would look to the bronze snake would be healed because they are trusting in God for their redemption, for their healing. And for us, for our own redemption and our own healing from sin, we need to look to Jesus on the cross to truly be transformed by him, to be made brand new. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Those that are Christians live as those who are born again. To understand that you have not only been saved, but you have been transformed and made brand new. That we are to live as those who are made brand new. To not live as the rest of the world. To not love the things like the rest of the world does, but rather to, to love the things that God loves, to be obedient to Him, to follow after Him. Because we have been made brand new. And for those that don't know the Lord, or maybe you, you, you think that you have a relationship with the Lord, but you've never truly changed, my challenge for you would be to ask if you've ever been born again. Have you ever truly put your faith and trust in Jesus, the one who was lifted up for our sins so we may have eternal life? Because being born again is not about saying a prayer or making a decision. It's life-altering transformation. It's being dead in your trespasses and sins and being born again. And all Jesus asks for you to do is to repent and believe to turn from your sin, and to truly trust in Him. At this time, Jackie's going to come up and play. We're going to have a time of invitation for you to respond to the text. And 
the real question I have for you this morning is just, have you been born again? And if not, my, my challenge for you would be to ask questions about what it means to truly be born again. What it means to be changed and transformed by grace. And what does God have for you in that? We pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for your transforming grace. God, that we don't have to fix ourselves before we come to you, but God, rather you make us brand new. God, for us to experience the kingdom of God, Father, for us to spend eternity with you, God, we need to recognize our own brokenness. God, that we can't fix ourselves. God, that there's no amount of self-help books or no amount of, of tips and tricks and life hacks that we can have in our lives that, that make us better. God, that there's no amount of going to church or praying or reading the Bible, God, that, that changes our hearts. But God, only you and you alone can change us. And so, God, I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, God, for anyone who's never been born again, God, that they would put their trust and faith in you. And God, for anyone in this room that has been born again, that they are a Christian, that they would profess, that they believe, that God, the evidence of salvation is there in their life. God, I pray that they would live as people who believe that. And God, that they would be reminded, Father, that they don't have to fix themselves. God, you are transforming them each and every day, drawing them to yourselves and maturing them as Christians. God, I pray that they would be comforted by that to know, God, no matter what this life has to throw at them, God, that you never leave us or forsake us. God, that you were there with us every step of the way. It's seasons of darkness and seasons of light. God, that your light never leaves us. God, we thank you for your son. Father, who, who was lifted up on the cross for us. God, who bore our sins and our transgressions and the punishment that was due on us. God, thank you for Jesus who paid that price for us. And thank you that you loved us enough to give us your one and only son. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.